midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers and talk about them. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the third episode of season two of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and John Martin Johnson and directed by Roger Goldby. Heidi Thomas, of course, created the show and has written a good chunk of the episode so far and will continue to. Mm -hmm. John Martin Johnson, this is his first credit on Call the Midwife. Uh, And Roger Goldby, this is his first directing credit on Call the Midwife, but will not be his last. All right. So let's get into the recap of this episode. As usual, we begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates this time about the East End and how close people are. Cynthia walks in the market and talks to twins Meg and Maeve Carter, advising Maeve to go to the clinic for her pregnancy, but they are resistant. Jenny is given an assignment to go to the men's ward in the hospital. Jane arrives, a shy medical orderly. Meg tries to cure Maeve's troubles with herbs, but Maeve wants to go to the clinic. Over lunch, Sister Monica Joan tells of the wedding of Meg and Maeve to Mr. Carter. Jenny goes to the hospital and reports to the stern matron. She meets Nurse Patty Mount on the ward and finds Jimmy as a patient. He has stomach issues, but the harsh Dr. Tracy sends him home. Meg and Maeve show up at the clinic and request Cynthia. Dr. Turner talks to them about delivering at the maternity home, and Meg is angry and untrusting, pulling Maeve away before she can get any help. Cynthia, Sister Monica Joan, and Dr. Turner, and Sister Julianne discuss the birth of Meg and Maeve. First of all, I am not sure what kind of successful marketing strategy strategy it is to yell at your customers <laughs> when she's like, when Cynthia's walking through the market and we first meet Meg and Maeve and it like establishes their character, yeah. establishes their character in a way that continues through the whole episode. Yeah. But if you think about it as like, we are selling fruit right now. Oh, is this a fruit? Pfft, don't even know what this is. Get out of here! <laughs> um... It's like the no soup for you, uh, but green grocers version. Exactly. I feel like their green grocers, uh, their their uh, produce is that good that they can afford to be rude to people. That's my my thought is that they have avocado pears, as they're called here. That ha- they have avocados in East End London in the fifties. Well, they're pretty dang good then to have those. I just it like cracks me up that they're not just rude. They're like actively aggressive yeah even before she broaches the subject of like i'm a nurse come you're pregnant come just like when she's a customer they're like mocking and aggressive i actually love it yeah same she um i should make a note but just right here at the beginning that what i didn't realize the first time i watched this even the, the second time i watched this like in my life is that meg and mave are played by the same person yeah. I should have caught on to that. I can't believe I didn't. But, like, 
I was at the point in the episode one, at one point that I was like, who is playing these women? Is this like a set of twins that are actresses? And I looked it up and sure enough, it's one woman playing double role. And there are some points when, oh, you can kind of tell if you know that because they kind of shoot them strategically. But the actress does a good job of they act a lot alike, but there are differences between them and they're subtle. Mm -hmm. And I just kudos to the actress who plays Megan Maeve. Very true. I mean, you can uh, kudos to the actress. She does a great job. The subtle difference between them is like uh, Meg is angry and Maeve is very angry (laughs) (laughs) that's like their characterization uh yeah you're not wrong (laughs) (laughs) so I love this scene where Sister Julienne gives Jenny some chocolates and is like I have some news for you you're going to the men's ward here's some chocolate to make it feel better take another one you're working the night shift (laughs) exactly (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. It's just... I love it. And, like, Jenny... We have another... I mean, we have Jenny over her head again. Yeah. Jenny has just found her feet. Not just, but, like, Mm -hmm. season two, Jenny really is comfortable in Poplar. She knows what she's doing. She's has found her feet and has found her comfort zone. And so we're pushing her out of it again. Yeah. To go to men's surgical in the hospital, where... I've been trained in this, but I haven't done it in a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll have to. Yeah, exactly. She's worked in a hospital before, but like under supervision and all that stuff. So, Also, uh, speaking of the men's hospital, do we want to take like the plots one by one as we have done sometimes or go beginning to end? Uh, Well, let's talk about Jenny in the hospital for now. Okay, because I just wanted to... Uh, speaking of the hospital, but not about Jenny in the hospital, is Trixie, when finding out that uh, Jenny's going to the hospital, is like, ooh, I wouldn't mind a stint on male surgical. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yes, Trixie, very sexy surgery. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, but, you know, Trixie. <laughs> yeah. So, Jimmy's back. Yay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Jenny goes to male surgery men's surgery and who is a patient but jimmy and everybody cheers that jimmy's back (laughs) i once again like every time jimmy comes up i'm like he's not actually the worst he's uh an okay character he's an okay person i'm just not interested in the storyline like i feel like it has played out I'm not interested in, in sparking it up again. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we brought this 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 plot to its conclusion, and then they bring it back again. I guess they wanted to fully conclude it with him getting married. But, uh, and Jenny fully letting go, I guess. Maybe, I even maybe would have liked Jimmy returning better if there was more time. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if suddenly she finds Jimmy as a patient... That could be a compelling story if it had been, like, a season. Mm-hmm. If you're like, oh, Jimmy, I'd totally forgotten about him, but we just saw Jimmy and didn't care about him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to any Jimmy lovers out there. Um, Jimmy is ill with, like, stomach complaints, and there's this kind of foreshadowing that the... Uh, 
the surgeon who's alternately like he's a doctor but he's sometimes called mr tracy i'm not really he's almost always called mr tracy and that is because uh there's two kinds of doctors phds and uh fake doctors (laughs) who really should be called mr all the time (laughs) okay so that's your opinion (laughs) but (laughs) i'm only sort of joking that surgeons are doc are called doctor now because they're uh licensed medical professionals but a surgeon wouldn't have a doctorate right so he is, his profession is doctor, but his education isn't, he doesn't have a doctorate. Right. And medical doctors don't have doctorates either, some, usually. Well, some don't. Often. Uh, so that's why I'm joking, but like, it's, you know. Yeah. He, he is mister. He is mister. <laughs> but he is the doctor. Anyway, we see him uh, making a mis- like... We see the stethoscope resting on Jimmy's little tray, and Jenny looks at it significantly. We, as the audience, don't necessarily know what's missing, but we catch on to something is wrong here. Something is missing. Yeah. And, like, there, the doctor comes in and is so rude, which is uh, rude and impersonal, mm-hmm. uh, which is typical of all doctors who aren't Turner on this show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there may be other exceptions, but I'm trying to think... Uh, no spoilers, but thinking forward, I'm like, all doctors who aren't Dr. Turner are not as good as Dr. Turner. Yeah. And even Dr. And even Dr. Manner. Turner doesn't have the greatest bedside manner. He gets better. He gets better. Um, he's already getting better at this point. But, uh, so then the question is, like, is he going to be rude but very competent or rude and incompetent? Yeah, and it seems like... And it seems like the second. Yeah. This, like, not... Uh, house. <laughs> no. Where the rude, abrasive doctor makes up for it by his competence. Yeah. I mean, I just want to dwell on that for a moment. Because, I mean, like, we've seen to the end of the episode, we know he has Parkinson's. We know he's fairly... He's actually relatively professional because he reports his own symptoms and takes himself off duty when he realizes he's made a mistake. Mm-hmm. So he's not, like, horribly incompetent. But I want to just dwell on this for a moment at this point, because uh, the comparison I just made to House, like, this is not the kind of show, this is not the kind of worldview where extreme competence makes up for rudeness mm. and treating people uh, unkindly. Yeah. That the worldview, the medical worldview of Call the Midwife is treating your patients like uh, machines is incompetence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, being mean to Jimmy, he doesn't make up for that by competence. That is his incompetence. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? exactly. And that's, I think, not just this episode. That yeah. like, goes through the whole show. Just the emphasis on nurse midwives as the our primary medical uh, professionals on this show is that caring for your patients is what medical competence looks like. And even Sister Evangelina is, like harsh but she is harsh in a kind way yeah she's harsh when people need that you know kick in the butt as we all do sometimes but she fundamentally cares about her patients lives in a way that uh medical professionals don't always and this is uh yeah uh, definitely what this show is about in a lot of ways is that difference between 
between harshness and personal yeah. connection. And indifference, even. Indifference, like we've yeah. Seen, we've seen before, but this is our, our, I think, most extended view so far of institutional care as opposed to district care, where they're most, like... The line isn't just clear, bright line, because mm-hmm. even in the district, they go to the maternity home, which is institutional, and that we've been to the hospital before, and etc. But, like, yeah. this difference between bringing care into people's homes and taking people to a hospital... Uh, one is one of the things I think this episode is about, is showing different kinds of medical care, and it's, like, definitely on the side of district care. Yeah, absolutely. He's also teaching uh, other medical students, and in a teaching hospital, there can be a bit of that impersonal thing, because you have to... uh, Or a teaching hospital where you're showing... You don't care about the person, you care about them as a learning instrument. And I've been as a patient in learning in teaching hospitals before and i've been treated both ways i uh my surgery when i was a 18 year old i remember like a doctor and some interns coming in and like tapping on my newly acquired scar and like ripping off my dressings to show how to how to manage dressings and it was really impersonal and distressing and then I also remember giving birth to my first child and there was an intern in the room learning how to deliver the afterbirth and I felt perfectly fine with that person there so it's really a matter of like are you treating those patients like they're a learning instrument or are you treating them like they're a human being who is going to help you learn how to be a better medical professional we have uh, Patsy and Jenny busy at the London. Patsy introducing Jenny to what uh, hospital care is. Being more of a, like, matron is so impersonal and mm-hmm. uh, harsh. Yeah. And Dr. Turner, who we see after we've met Patsy, is, like, impersonal Not and harsh. D- Dr. Tracy. Dr. Tracy, sorry. Uh, Turner just comes automatically after Dr. <laughs> Mr. Tracy is impersonal and harsh, uh, and Patsy is at least some... uh, Yeah, she's like an ally to Jenny. Friendly face and ally who is... shows... is... shows it's possible to care about patients even in... I mean, she's she's kind to Jenny, but we also really see her being personal and connecting to the patients as Mm -hmm, well. mm -hmm. So again, not a bright, clear line between hospital and... No, definitely not. Not. Back to... So let's get back to Meg Meg and Maeve. The let's twins. get back to them. Just to be clear, Maeve is the one who is pregnant. Meg is the other one. Uh, <laughs> Meg, is the, Meg is the meaner, the matter one. Yeah, exactly. Um, they are reliant on uh, an herbalist, Dr... Is it Culpepper? Yeah. I don't... Just Culpepper, not Just Dr. Just Culpepper, not Dr. <laughs> Apparently, this is the episode where I really care who gets called doctor. It is. Uh, Sorry, about Culpepper, the herbalist, and they are looking at 200-year-old advice on how to take care of Maeve's pregnancy and themselves in general. And it's... uh, Meg and Maeve are reliant on this kind of herbalism, and they have a distrust of doctors. And so in this section, it uh, becomes obvious that 
their distrust of doctors comes from the fact that their mother died in childbirth and all they've had is each other since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sister Julianne, Sister Monica Joan tells the story of their wedding and she also tries to tell the story of their birth as well. Uh, the wedding seems to be that Mr. Carter married both of them, unclear whether he wanted to they just are a package deal it's a bit odd it's once again it's like this uh show has these like it feels like oh it's the 50s you have you know the man and the woman and they are married to each other and this is and they have the babies but then we keep seeing these like other stories in this of like you have the brother and sister who live as husband and wife and you have the you know the sailor coming back to triplets with his girlfriend and you have you know it's not and i mean you have jimmy getting his girlfriend pregnant and marrying her which is you know is a tale as old as time but it's also doesn't fit with that uh stereotypical 50s housewife narrative of you know virgin until marriage married to a man bear your children stay at home housewife thing these family values exactly are not uh this isn't leave it to Beaver, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love uh, Sister Monica Joan again, not for the first time, as like the vault of uh, memory. Mm-hmm. And it's so, I mean, her remembering the marriage of the twins, her remembering the birth of the twins, her being like the history of Poplar. Yeah. And then they actually really put an emphasis on how striking that is when Dr. Turner asks her for like, oh, was, why did she, was there a problem with the birth? And Sister Monica Jones says, I do not, I know not why you are asking me since you once denounced my memory in a court of law. (laughs) And I think Dr. Turner looks appropriately chagrined. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. He was, I mean, he was doing his best. He was trying to get her out of jail when he was doing that, but she does not see it that way. She does not at see it that way. Like speaking of memory, she remembers that. Yep, exactly, exactly. And I don't think she forgives him very easily. No. And then, like this, co- I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of Meg and Maeve, to jump around a little bit, I love their surliness. We talked about their surliness as uh, grocers. Mm -hmm. I love when they do finally go to the clinic and they just walk in and like, we're looking for a nurse! Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's like, like, uh... uh, Yeah, we all are. (laughs) There are quite a few times in the show where at the clinic... The person who walks in and is, like, the main character, the main pregnant woman for that episode gets looked at right away of, like, oh, just come this way, come this way. And all these people are waiting in the waiting room. And, like, why aren't they more mad? I would, you know, you know waiting rooms. People are mad when there's not their turn. It's true. <laughs> when someone butts ahead of them in line. So, I think, it, but also... I can see where you wouldn't want them to sit in the waiting room with you. <laughs> they're, no. they're, I know, they're seen as weird and as harsh, so. Yep. Yep. Uh, Dr. Turner describes Maeve as elderly prima gravida, which is, uh, prima gravida is your first child, and elderly means over 35. Mm-hmm. And pregnant. Sometimes it gets called a geriatric pregnancy. These are terms sometimes still used today, though they're 
trying i feel like they're maybe realizing how like it sucks to be called a geriatric geriatric pregnancy when you're 36 (laughs) and i think and you know and these days uh the prevalence of pregnancies in women over 35 are much more because of uh, birth control. But uh, yeah, so elderly Prima Gravida is, this is her first pregnancy and she's over 35. And that means she should deliver at the maternity home. Because she's high risk. risk. I figured out elderly Prima Gravida. I did not know what that meant. Last little thing about, last thing I have to point out about this section is we get the introduction of Jane. Right, yes, of course. Who is, in this episode, very uh, shrinking Violet, mm-hmm. very meek and uh, small. Yeah. Um, this is just basically her introduction so she can be in future episodes. She's there because Chummy is gone, but she's not a midwife, she's an orderly. Mm-hmm. So she's just kind of helping out around the clinic and everything. I'm not exactly sure what her role would be. Yeah, but I mean, like, what we see of her is delivering yeah, the medical Yeah, she pack. delivers the medical pack. That's uh, the kind of thing she could do. And, like, I just love her uh, appearance. And Fred shows her to her room and makes a whole bunch of tall jokes about Chummy <laughs> that Jane does not get. And, like, what are you doing, Fred? Fred's like, you've got big shoes to fill. We all looked up to her. She we didn't see eye to eye on everything. <laughs> and Jane is just like, uh-huh. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, Fred drives me crazy in this moment of, like, Fred, you're, why are you telling these stupid jokes that Jane does not get? But also... He really reminds me of, like, my grandpa in this moment, who used to do, like, the exact same thing. We'd be out for supper, and he'd, like, talk to the wait staff about some story, and we're like, Grandpa, they do not understand the context of what you're saying to them about, like, oh, yeah, and these stupid jokes and stuff. Like, I just love Fred for it, the way he reminds me of my grandpa. <laughs> It seems like such a hilarious... I mean, it's such a human moment, I think. It is. It is, exactly. People do that. People do that. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. It also emphasizes how uh, out of place Jane is. Yeah. Well, Jane, with her uh, extreme, like, shy, reserved, meek nature, she makes Cynthia look like Trixie. Yeah. Like, she is... We've seen Cynthia as this, like shy person but she's got so much boldness compared to jane jane is just a wisp of a thing yeah she reminds me more of peggy and her like mm-hmm. yeah so let's move on to the next recap yep at the hospital jenny releases jimmy into francine's care Jenny assists with surgery, provoking the ire of Dr. Tracy when she's Mr. Tracy, <laughs> when she's hesitant. She cries in the hallway and is reprimanded by the matron. Meg and Maeve do tarot cards with negative results. Jane is sent to give a maternity pack to Maeve, but she is thoroughly rejected by Meg. Jimmy meets Jenny at Nanata's house and they discuss the wedding and that he'll be sell- selling his car, Lady Chatterley. He invites her to go out with him. Jenny runs into Nurse Mount and they discuss the cruel surgeon. Maeve turns up at Nanata's house and talks to Sister Evangelina, who convinces her to send for the midwives when her labor starts. Cynthia and Jenny discuss Jimmy 
and Cynthia tells her to accept that Jimmy doesn't belong to her. Jenny calls Jimmy to tell her she can't see him after all. There's a bit that I wrote down that I didn't write down a context for, and I think it technically happened in the previous recap, but when they're discussing, when Sister Julienne is discussing the twins uh, with everybody, Mm -hmm. um, she says something that I think is a core for this episode, which is where there's anger, there's always fear. Mm, Yes. And I want to bring that up because it's relevant for Meg and Maeve, where there's anger, there's always fear. And the other real source of anger in this episode is Mr. Tracy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think in this little section, in surgery, when Mr. Tracy's hands are shaking, mm-hmm. we see where Can there's anger, out. there's fear. Yeah. His hands shake, and then he lashes out at Jenny. And I think of what Sister Julianne said, that where there's anger, there's always fear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's And that's such a human condition. It's like, I can seriously relate to that, is when you're anxious or fearful, sometimes that comes out as anger. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we saw that, I mean, in the last episode with Chummy and uh, and Peter. Peter getting mad and lashing out at mm-hmm. Chummy over his fear. Yeah, exactly. It rings very true. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk more. Let's wrap up Mr. Tracy in this section since mm-hmm. I started on him. Yeah, uh, He's continues to be harsh and aggressive and Jenny has to scrub into surgery which is she is over her head with she doesn't know she hasn't done being a surgical nurse in a long time and she doesn't know what she's doing yeah and doesn't remember what instruments to pass him and uh she's nervous about it and Patsy is very reassuring and comforting Mm -hmm. and I love seeing Patsy as her friend and ally and like and Patsy is so uh, agrees with her so much about Mr. Tracy that she's almost, she's looking for a job completely outside of nursing. Yeah. that's We see Patsy being like, I'm giving up on nursing. I can't stand Mr. Tracy. He makes everything terrible. And when Jenny has to do surgery, Patsy's so sympathetic that it's with Mr. Tracy of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, Patsy's advice to Jenny is like, just do the first thing right and then you'll feel great. And Jenny yeah. does the first thing wrong. Yeah. And just like, uh, and I also love in this little part with Jenny in the hospital, her crying in the hallway and the matron being like, you're used to being the expert in the room and you can't anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so harsh, but also not wrong. Yeah, exactly. And that like, the problem is you're used to being the expert in the room. Mm -hmm. And man, do I also... Can I relate to that? Because there are uh, topics where I am very used to being the expert in the room. And then when I'm suddenly not, it's uh, very upsetting. I mean, yeah. upsetting. It's very, uh, pulls you up short. Yeah. Humbling. <laughs> Humbling, exactly. Mm-hmm. Poor Jenny, no longer the expert in the room. Uh, she well, continue, Let's continue to talk about Jenny. She meets... Jimmy is uh, released from the hospital. Francine obviously knows who Jenny is now. Yeah, she sure does. And she's like, oh, I, I don't go to your clinic anymore. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I found um, a better one. 
she meets Jimmy in his car and they have this whole discussion, which is, it's hard and it's sad. And this is where we have a little bit more sympathy for Jimmy is he's doing the right thing to, to marry Francine, to not leave her like a single mom in the fifties. But also it's, he's unhappy. Yeah. He's very unhappy. And Jenny wants to, you know, help him out, do something with him, make him happier, but just, he's very unhappy. He says Francine wants to put a deposit on a house, and so he has to sell Lady Chatterley. Yeah. And I'm like, oh darn. Uh, although... <laughs> How much does is Lady Chatterley worth? Like, how much is selling that car really going to bring him towards the house? Not the point, maybe. But <laughs> Not like, the point, maybe. I don't know. These days it certainly wouldn't, but maybe. I you feel know. like, you know, we have sold used cars that were in better condition than Lady Chatterley and got less than four digits for them. Yeah. Uh, substantially less than four digits for them. And, like, that wouldn't mean much towards the down payment of a house. Yeah, but maybe true. Maybe houses were cheaper. Yeah, well, they well, certainly they were. they definitely were. <laughs> they certainly were, even in comparison. Um, and Jenny talks to Cynthia about Jimmy, and mm-hmm. Cynthia gives her good advice, I think. Cynthia, these, these conversations that we've now seen quite a lot of, of Cynthia and Jenny sitting in, like, Jenny's room, or sometimes Cynthia's room, on the bed with a cup of tea, like, talking over their feelings, mm-hmm. their very sweet moments... You can see Jenny and Cynthia's friendship continuing to, like, grow. Jenny uh, laughs with uh, Trixie, but then she talks about things that really matter with Cynthia. Mm-hmm. And she listens to Cynthia's advice. She very much takes Cynthia seriously, which she should. And I really like Cynthia's advice in this. She's like, I don't want a repeat of Gerald. And, and Cynthia's like, then don't. Basically, like, you were in love with a married man. Jimmy is going to be married again. Don't fall in love with him. Jimmy belongs to someone else. If you can't accept that, things will be all out of order. Mm-hmm. He says. Yeah. Just like, good advice. And then Jenny says, I can't see you anymore. I can't make yep. the same mistake twice. Which, yep. good. Good, Jenny. Make, make a good, good decision. Jenny. Good for you. Pat that on your head. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to Meg and Maeve. Mm-hmm. They do a tarot card reading. Meg reads Maeve's cards and, like, predicts nothing but death and destruction and, like, death come on. And... Like, she, it's like she doesn't see what that's doing to her sister. It's, it's like she is so scared and worried that she is doing everything she can to make her sister scared and worried, too. Yep. And where there's anger, there's always fear. She's like full of fear and it's all coming out as anger, even anger at her sister. Mm-hmm. They, uh... Smash all the stuff that Jane brings. Yeah, Meg. Well, Maeve just stands there in the background while Meg smashes everything, like, throws the brown paper. And poor Jane... Yeah, poor Jane. This is like the meekest, most easily cowed person on this show. Yeah, cowed and attacked. I feel like I don't know. Like why? Why did they send her? Did they think maybe she wouldn't attack her because she's so meek, or did they like? I think so. 
Yeah. And I think there was a tr- real chance of that. Yeah. Like, I think that was a good strategy for... I mean, it shows again, like, it's a good strategy for the good of uh, Meg. Mm-hmm. It's not a good strategy for the good of Jane. Unless but it Jane is because is there... she needs to... This is a tradition of them, too, is throwing them in. Like yeah, they just true. There's work to be done. She Chummy isn't there. Jenny isn't there. Or maybe she could be coddled, but she can't be. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, it's... Uh, we've seen from the very beginning... Maybe you'd be happier if you didn't have to, but you do have to. Yeah. There's work that needs to be done, and you are here to serve. Yeah, exactly. And that for all Sister Julienne's, like, encouraging kindness to Jane, she also is like, you have a job to do, and this is it, and go do it now. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't quite see those words said. Yeah. But we see that attitude again. Yeah. And so Maeve comes to see Sister Evangelina, and I love the... I want to see the little one. Like, you're going to have to put up with the big one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sister Evangelina with so many of the good lines. Yes. Um, She and Sister Evangelina, who in the in previous episodes has been like, I don't know about the maternity home. Women need to grit their teeth and have their babies at home. In this case is very much saying "You you need to come to the maternity home. You are going to have to deliver this baby, and the best place for that is in the maternity home. Yeah. And she says that in all caps, maternity yeah. home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because she knows that this birth... And, like, she doesn't even know. None of them know how dangerous this birth is actually going to be. Yeah. Because it's twins and everything. So, uh, but all she can do is advise her, like, call. You need to call for the midwives when your baby starts coming don't let your sister allow you not to you call us and we will come and like the best place is the maternity home but if you can't make it to the maternity home at least call us and mm-hmm. we will come to you yep there's a little moment in this section too of sister monica joan as this tragic figure again uh mm. She is trying to help, and Sister Julianne's like, why don't you go do your handicraft? And Sister Monica Jones says, why must you have me fritter my days away? Mm-hmm. I think, like, Sister Monica Jones continues to be such uh, compelling and tragic as well as comic figure. Mm-hmm. Sister Julianne wants her to fritter her days away because she's no longer capable or competent or trustworthy to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, through no fault of her own. Yeah. And it's like... And she's trying She's trying to dig the maternity pack things out of the garbage because th- that's her... Like, you don't throw things out, but they have to. They're not sanitary anymore. And I feel like even... Like, I don't know. Is that an element of uh, frugality of the past? But even in the past, Sister Monica Joan, in her... Uh, lucid youth would have known not to dig sterile instruments out of the garbage. I'm positive. Probably, yeah. So just like, she wants to be helpful. She can't be helpful. It is not her fault. She's aware of that, and she's offended. And of course she's aware, of course she's offended. And what is there to do? Yeah. Like, it's again kind of Sister Julienne doing her best, but when... It really comes down to it. She does what's best for the patients. Mm -hmm. So she's not going to let Sister Monica Joan 
help in ways that aren't helpful. Yeah. Even if it would be good for Sister Monica Joan. Like, she just isn't. It's such a, like, a little, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to continue. It has from the beginning. Moving on. Mr. Carter fetches the midwives, and they arrive to assist Maeve in labor. She confesses When she confesses that she's the one who called them, Meg storms out of the room. Meanwhile, Jimmy arrives with a burst appendix and septicemia, going straight into surgery with Jenny assisting. Maeve gives birth to a baby girl, but doesn't want to hold her without Meg. The nurses then discover that it's twins and turn the baby so it can be born. The birth is complicated and traumatic, and Meg bursts in, pulling everyone away, but eventually comforting Maeve. Another baby is born, twin girls. Bernadette, Sister Bernadette, saves the baby, and Dr. Turner saves Maeve. Each twin getting a baby and naming them Meg and Maeve. <laughs> Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner share a cigarette afterwards, commiserating after the birth. They name them for each other. So Meg's baby is Maeve and Maeve's baby is Meg. They each get one. They each get one. It, like, oh it's boy. bonkers. <laughs> it is bonkers. They like, right. sorry, I jumped to the end of that because they, not only are there, there, there are twins and they explicitly, they say out loud that like, which one's yours? Yeah, exactly. Like, there is no, uh, Meg is aunt to both of them. Yeah. Meg is mom to one of them. Yeah, exactly. She gets one. She gets one. That's okay. Yep, that's just okay. the way it is. Um, let's talk th- about Meg and Maeve's whole birth. Because, yes, exactly. Uh, when <laughs> I love uh, the midwives showing up and Meg being like, Who sent for you? <laughs> and Sister Evangelina, No one. We operate purely on telepathy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I continue to like the realism of this show that Cynthia's not there. Yeah. The nurse that they want, the nurse that, like, Cynthia's not on call, Cynthia's not there. Yep. Sister Evangeline is not there, they talk to her too. No, it's Trixie and Sister Bernadette because that's who's on call right now. Yep. That everyone's been involved in these women's lives. Because it's who's on call is who comes. Yep. Um, and Meg refusing to go in and be with Maeve as she's laboring and she says I'll go find somewhere on my own yeah she's so afraid and we see now that she is uh she has all we the time being afraid uh we maybe saw I mean we maybe were could have read that in from the very beginning but we see explicitly that she's not just afraid that Maeve is going to die in childbirth she's afraid that Maeve is not going to need her anymore. Mm-hmm. And that once Maeve has a baby, she'll be left on the outside. Yeah. And so, like, for Meg, healthy baby, unhealthy baby, healthy pregnancy, successful pregnancy, not successful, healthy Maeve, unhealthy Maeve, it all ends with her on the outside not having her sister anymore. Yeah, exactly. And then the tiny, tiny baby. <laughs> Yeah. There's always tiny babies. I feel like this baby was especially tiny. It was. Yeah. Uh, and that's because it's twins. Yeah. Um, I love Dr. Turner comes out and like is, because the nurses are just taking care of everything. Dr. Turner is just there for like emergency purposes, which is what he always is. But he, uh, you know, goes off and sits down with Mr. Carter to like have a drink. And he's like, you know, have some 
whiskey or whatever. He offers them alcohol. I can't remember what. Uh, mm-hmm. And Dr. Turner's like, you know, I'm off now. Sure. And then, so, then like, I don't even know if he gets to drink it. I hope he doesn't before he's called back in <laughs> to be like, no, it's twins. Come back. <laughs> twins with twins. It's a girl. Well, we never did like boys. Yeah, that exactly. <laughs> they both say that separately. Meg will be happy. We never did like boys. boys. <laughs> Maeve will be happy. We never did like boys. Um, and the second baby is born not breathing. Mm-hmm. And they have to, the turning it, they have to turn the baby in the womb so that it can be born head down, which looks so painful and awful. And Sister Bernadette is just amazing. This is, once again, we see Sister Bernadette's absolute competence as a midwife. She is, uh, I feel like she must be the most educated and skilled of all of them. Yeah. We don't ever say that, but we see it, right? Exactly. From the time that she's the one teaching the rest of them. To like, mm-hmm. now she's not, she doesn't seem older, or if she's older, not very much older than Jenny and Trixie yeah. and Cynthia, but she's uh, still in charge of them and more competent than they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't quite put that together, but you might be right that it's education. She mm-hmm. has experience like the rest, like the rest of the older nurses do. The nuns do, but she seems to have education too. Mm-hmm. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Headcanon accepted. Headcanon accepted. Uh, and she gets punched in the face for her efforts. Oh. <laughs> Meg, that Maeve is like in a lot of pain. She's crying out, and Meg comes in, storms in, pulls the doctor away, and punches Sister Bernadette in the face. Yeah, well, you know, she had it coming. <laughs> Um, no, not so much. <laughs> the worst thing since not knowing what an avocado is. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. But once again, really dramatizing uh, where there's anger, there's always fear. Yeah, yeah. Like, She's this is not. so afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And the baby's born. Uh, Sister Bernadette rocks she says she has to do eve's rocking yeah she has to eve's rock the baby uh that's like just rocking it to encourage breathing mm-hmm. like we see what it is yeah um and as she's doing it to try to get it to breathe we hear uh come holy ghost our souls inspire mm. is the the chanting that's a ninth century hymn translated from latin into english in the 17th century mm-hmm. um it is usually sung at ordinations and or at Pentecost. Uh, the English translation is an Anglican translation, so it's a specifically an Anglican hymn. Yeah. Um, it's about... It's usually sung at ordinations and Pentecost, so it's not really uh, appropriate at this moment in terms of how it's usually used, but it's about the Holy Ghost inspiring, hmm. or in other words, about divine breath. Hmm. And so the part that we hear, we, it's got several verses, but we hear just the very beginning. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Praise to thy eternal merit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hmm. But the spirit, like the word inspire, comes from breath, like to breathe. To breathe. So... As she's trying to get breath into the baby, we have a song about divine breath 
Hmm. And then the baby breathes and uh, it the Sister Bernadette is like, thank God. Mm-hmm. Sister Bernadette, when the baby breathes, says thank God, which, you know, doesn't necessarily, out of context, wouldn't necessarily be enormously significant. But when both she's a nun and we have the song of the mm. divine breath is what comes and gives breath to the baby. That's beautiful. Yep. And then crisis over. Yeah. They call for the flying squad, but the hemorrhage stops. Dr. Turner manages to get the hemorrhage stop. And because she's calm, I believe. I don't know. That's never spelled out. But she, but with the presence of her sister and their baby crying, she calms down. And that is probably contributes to the bleeding stopping. Mm-hmm. I It was my question, yeah, but because we really see the baby suddenly breathes and then everything is better. Yeah. Crisis over. Mm-hmm. Like, how does the baby breathing stop a hemorrhage? But, but I think, calms down. I think, well, I think it's not just the baby breathing, but like the presence of Meg right beside her holding her hand. Right. She, you know, her heart doesn't beat as fast if she's not panicking. So... Yeah. And she still needs, like, crisis over, not like, well, dust off our hands and leave. No, exactly. The ambulance is still coming. Yeah. And it's still, it seems like it's night when that all happens. And by the time Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner are outside on the street, it's very much day. Yeah. So this is not, that's not the end of it for them either. But the crisis is over. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette sit out on their... On the car, he's smoking, and she has a puff. I love, first of all, Dr. Turner saying, I feel like a uh, captain and a sergeant after a battle, which isn't to say that I think I'm the captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful line. Yep. Uh, and we've seen Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette, like, connecting mm-hmm. a little bit. And this, and we've seen Sister Bernadette, like, flirting with secularism, really. Yeah. Uh, taking off her veil and looking at her hair in the mirror and, like, the, the, new, her, glasses. the new glasses and, yeah. like, laughing about them. And then, like, he's like, I feel like I should offer you one. He does not offer her one. He says, I yeah. feel like I should. And she's like, oh, just a puff and takes a cigarette. And, like, mm-hmm. my goodness. Both. That's just both such a, like... I mean, it's such a humanizing moment for mm-hmm. Sister Bernadette. Yeah. There's a sense... I One of the things I love about Sister Bernadette's story so far is there can really be a sense of the nuns as inhuman. Mm-hmm. As, like, they're these uh, kind of... They were born as nuns. They were born as nuns. Mm-hmm. And we, we complicate that with Sister Monica Joan, and we complicate it with Sister Bernadette, who mm-hmm. is taking off her veil, and she is a full human. <laughs> yeah, and she tells the story of her childhood and smoking and her stealing cigarettes in her childhood. And I just and love it. Yeah, it is. And then later on, I didn't actually put this in my recap, but she just there's just a shot of her standing in the chapel. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing said, and it's not a long shot of her, but there's just kind of a shot of her standing in the chapel, and we're, we're getting seeds of this kind of 
what is she what is going on with her there's something has, going on with her i mean we could say it's a crisis of faith i don't know if i would put it quite as strongly as a crisis of faith although maybe mm-hmm. but a crisis of identity yes exactly uh and so, but then also, so taking the cigarette signifies all of that. Mm-hmm. It also is like a very intimate moment. Yes. It's like taking a, his cigarette. I mean, like people share cigarettes without it being an intimate moment, but yeah. this is one. This is one. Yeah. She's already repaired the button on his coat. Now they're sharing a cigarette. Things are going on. All so. right. So let's get back to Jimmy. Mm-hmm. He arrives, I put in my recap a burst appendix, but I think I just pulled that out of nowhere because it's not. No, it's a burst it's appendix. A, is it a burst appendix? Septicemia, Septicemia and a burst appendix. And a burst appendix. Okay, that is what happens. All right. Anyway, he is extremely ill. He has septicemia. He uh, needs to go into surgery, which Jenny helps with, which is, I feel like a conflict of interest, but I guess that's what it happens. Yeah. She's the only one there to help out. And they she specifically cr- say, like, he says, I don't want you. And she says, I'm the only one here. Yeah. So I think that might, line might be there to resolve that yeah, conflict Yeah, to resolve of that conflict. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is the result of him, of the, the Mr. Tracy not examining Jimmy properly when he left the hospital, which Jenny caught. And she also catches in the surgery him using the wrong instrument yeah. in that moment. And she suggests a different one. And mm-hmm. he accepts her suggestion exactly. instead of being angry. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Well, and, and in the hallway, she's he's already been told, you know, why was this patient sent home? Like, it was on your orders. And I think you all you see of him is this harshness and this fear. But the fact that he has, like, stepped back his role after this, you, he probably something clicked. Yeah. I, I mean, it's one of my favorite things about his story. It would be so easy to make him just a shade flatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that when this the end scene with Matron... Uh, I mean... We, we haven't got to that yet. We haven't got to that yet. <laughs> Let's just say they get through the surgery successfully. Yeah. I mean, do you want to talk more about this? Maybe I'll just recap get... this end bit and then we'll oh, talk about it more. You haven't recapped it at all. No. I, my notes, in my notes, I didn't even give this section its own <laughs> notes. <laughs> so sorry. That's okay. Let's just recap the last bit here. Okay, Jimmy pulls through surgery and tells Jenny he should have fought for her and she should fight for what she wants. Jenny goes to the matron to complain about the doctor and say that he may have a neurological disease, and find, but finds out that he has already resigned. The matron is impressed with Jenny and tells her she should come back. Jimmy is shown marrying Francine with Jenny watching from a distance. Meg and Maeve arrive at the clinic, each with a baby in tow. The end. <laughs> Jimmy comes through surgery successfully, and uh, that's good for him. But then Jenny goes to Matron. And in this last scene where Jenny is talking to Matron about, and she has diagnosed Mr. Tracy with Parkinson's, mm-hmm. is both like... Uh, <laughs> Jenny Jenny is no longer the expert in the room. Oh, yes, she is. Yeah. <laughs> she continues to be the expert in the room. Yeah. But also, as I was saying before, uh, it would be so easy to just like a shade more villainous, mm-hmm. Mr. Tracy. Yeah. Like, he has Parkinson's. He has to be uh, removed from his job. Jenny's a hero. 
but that little bit of like he has already diagnosed himself and stepped away yeah casts everything he's done in a different light it does and it shows that like there's a world outside of jenny Mm -hmm. you know like this this uh a worser show, like you say, would have said, you know, oh, Jenny's the hero. She solves everything and she leaves the men's ward having changed the world. When in fact, no, there's a whole world out there. There's the matron would have noticed Dr. Mr. Tracy as well. There's and he resigns. He's already resigned. Yeah. But she's impressed the matron yes. by noticing this. So she still leaves the hospital triumphant. Yes. And she still has her own story of like coming into her own, proving to herself and to Matron her competency. Matron, who's been so harsh from the beginning, ends this by being like, you, uh, I hope this isn't just a complaint. No, of course not. Of course it, no. No, it's, this doesn't leave this room. Of course not. Of course you wouldn't, because you have tact and courtesy. (laughs) Like, she's like, (laughs) kind of aggressive about it, but like, of course you wouldn't. You know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fantastic little moment. It is, it is. Um, and I, I just think it's such a stronger ending that Jenny has done what she needs to do. Jenny has observed things and noticed things and brought them to the attention of the people she needed to bring it atten- to the attention of. Mm-hmm. But the good of the hospital isn't resting on Jenny's shoulders. Yeah. And Mr. Tracy isn't a monster. He's aggressive and abrasive, but fear where there's anger, there's fear. Mm-hmm. And he ends up making the right call for himself. Yeah. I I really like it. Yep. And Jimmy pulls through this to say that, you know, he should have fought for Jenny and Jenny like <laughs> okay. Should he have? Should he have? I don't know, but he tells Jenny to fight for what she wants and I think she will in the future. Mm-hmm. I think that has some impact on her. And I don't love her watching the wedding from afar. I feel like that is a bit cliched to have her like dreamily watching the wedding from across the street in her uniform. It's like, she either went or she didn't went. This is kind of stupid. (laughs) She either went or she didn't went. (laughs) (laughs) She either went or she didn't go. (laughs) Yeah, I I kind of agree. It's like a directorial moment of like, but how can we know that Jenny cares about this wedding if she isn't physically watching it? Exactly. We know that. Yeah, That's okay. exactly. It's a bit silly. <laughs> we could have just like cut, you know, we could have had the wedding and then cut to Jenny doing something else and like looking wistful mm-hmm. and that would have been better. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. <laughs> and then lastly, we have Meg and Maeve and Meg and Maeve and Mr. Carter all arrive at the clinic together and like make space for them. They <laughs> make some woman get up and move so they can sit together. <laughs> yeah. And like, they each have a baby. This is how it's going to work. And they have made this weird life of theirs work by both being with the same man, by being twins that are never never apart, and they're now raising the next generation of twins that are never never apart. And mature Jenny talks over, uh, sometimes we don't know how strong bonds are until they're tested. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, I'm going to say, I'm probably going to say this again, Sometimes mature Jenny's uh, voiceovers get a little purple. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of them. Yeah. That, like, I kind of have trouble following what she's saying because she gets so, like, effusively flowery. Yeah. But the point of 
we don't know how strong bonds are until they're tested that uh, Megan Maeve's uh, relationship is stronger than ever because the fear that it was going to break mm-hmm. turned out to be unjustified or turned out they survived that. Yeah. Whatever. And frankly, Jimmy and Jenny's bond was not strong. It, was, te- it was tested and broke. Yep. Yep. So what was your favorite part of this episode? I really think my favorite part was just Megan Maeve yelling at Cynthia about avocados. <laughs> so like, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. I loved, I mean, as always, the question is whether you whether I go for a uh, emotionally satisfying or a funny moment. But I think of them yelling at her about the avocado and that uh, delights me. How about you? What is your favorite part? I think that both emotionally satisfying and funny is Sister Monica Jones sticking it to Dr. Turner by saying, you once testified against my memory in a court of law. That like yeah. that's, emotion- that's very satisfying to hear her say that, but it's also kind of funny, a funny moment as well. And it... Uh, and I like, too, that it, it doesn't ignore what's gone on in the whole series, that we, totally. she hasn't moved on from that. That might have been, like, ten at five episodes ago, but she's not moved on from Dr. Turner. Because from her perspective, that was a real uh, betrayal. It was. Yeah. Yep. So, that's our recap, our discussion of Season 2, Episode 3. Next week, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 4. That's how numbers work. That's how numbers work. <laughs> <laughs> If you have anything to say, if you want to join us in conversation about Call the Midwife, about any part of it, let us know. Uh, you can do that on Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. You can send us an email, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends, rate and review, spread the word amongst Call the Midwife fans that we are doing this for the long haul. Uh... You can also support us financially if you have a little bit to spare. Patreon.com slash clockworkscast. All of that information is in the show notes, so you don't have to frantically write it down with a pencil right now. (laughs) I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. (laughs) 